Having a child is supposed to be a carefree and happy time, but that's not always the case. In fact, childhood stress has been increasing in recent years. It is important to note that everybody feels stress. The problem becomes when that stress is not just a one-off experience. That's clinical child psychologist, Dr. Kyle Berkey, and I'm Shelley Dankoff, your host for Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. On today's episode of Health Accelerated, we are taking a look at childhood stress. It's a real thing. According to the National Institutes of Health, the National Library of Medicine, approximately 35% of American children experience stress-related health problems, and experiencing stress in children plays a major role in increasing physical, mental, and social problems. Joining me today is Dr. Kyle Berkey, a clinical child psychologist and the Director of Behavioral Health Ambulatory Services for OSF Healthcare. I want to talk a little bit about your background to level set. Tell me how you got to where you are in the position you hold and some of your career path to this point. Yeah, so I'm a local kiddo here, uh, born and raised in the Peoria area. Um, managed to get out and go to graduate school down in Florida and was very blessed to be placed for my internship and fellowship out at uh, the Kennedy Krieger Institute at Johns Hopkins University, which was an incredible experience, gave me really access to some of the great minds in, in behavioral psychology. And then really, I guess uh, what brought me back was the birth of our second son. We realized, uh, number one, we were doing okay. Number two, we needed family. And so we came back this way and I started practicing at OSF practice for about 11 years, uh, straight clinical practice before taking this uh, role as the director of behavioral health. You know, we're going to jump right into it because it's a very important and scary topic and an issue that just seems to keep getting worse. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 9.4% of kids aged 3 to 17, so that's almost 6 million kids, had diagnosed anxiety between 2016 and 2019. And then almost 4.5% of the same aged kids, so that's almost 3 million, have diagnosed depression for that same period of time. So obviously when you look at that time frame, this isn't pandemic related, but that probably only made it worse. But let's kind of start back at the beginning of this. Some stress is good for us, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Their normal stress is is good stress. Um, it actually helps us perform at higher levels. It helps us make sure that we're preparing for things properly. Stress is the body's normal reaction to get ready for a challenge or something that we have to get ready for. It is important to note that everybody feels stress. The problem becomes when that stress is not just a one-off experience, when we are feeling repeated stress, whether it's one event that we are repeatedly reliving over and over, that's what we call chronic stress, or potentially it's just a lot of the same thing every day that we're experiencing stress with. When that stress becomes chronic, that's where it becomes problematic. And that's going to lead to a whole host of problems, whether it's behavioral health, mental health, or even somatic problems. As you mentioned, 35% are, are actually experiencing physical health problems related to stress nowadays. How does that physical manifestation show itself? I mean, what types of things? Again, I'm also hoping parents will be listening going, oh, wait, my child is doing some of that. So what are some of those physical manifestations that you know, we might want to keep our eye out for? Yeah. So a couple of things are, are fairly benign if you look at them at a one-time occasion. So headaches, stomach aches, things like that. The problem becomes 
if we are experiencing these day after day after day, or just maybe not every day, but more repeatedly uh, as we go, you can get racing heart rate. That's a, a reaction to stress. Certainly nightmares, perseverance thoughts, and things like that. And we'll even have in some of the younger kids, maybe a little bit of regression in skills. So if we have a kiddo who has been potty trained and all of a sudden we start seeing accidents, again, not one accident, but if we start seeing a, a routine pattern of more accidents like that, that's a pretty good indication that maybe there, there's some stress or something going on that we want to look at a little bit better. I know I mentioned a few of the statistics, but hit a few more of them for me because, again, it is very alarming as we look at some of these numbers and I keep reminding myself, okay, I get stressed with adults or, you know, 20-somethings. That's just a natural life occurrence in many cases. But when we are talking kids three years old and they're going through stress, that should be concerning to everyone. Yeah, ab- absolutely true. Those statistics, as you mentioned, are, are usually looking at age 3 to 17. And what we're noticing is those statistics, because statistics are always a little delayed. So we're talking statistics usually from you know 2015 to 2019, 2016 to 2020, not including the pandemic time. And, and you're right, though, those are startling statistics. And we're just really starting to get a glimpse into what really the effect of the pandemic is going to have on these kiddos. And I think we still have a little bit of time time to go. But some of the more recent startling statistics, if I may, there was a a survey recently, and what it found is nearly all teenagers, so we're now talking 13 to 17, actually acknowledge more stress in their life. And 45% of those are acknowledging that it's not just more stress, but it's stress that is impacting them negatively, impacting their behavioral health negatively. And stress is just the starting point. And I think that's maybe the most scary part is it starts with stress and it flows over into some of those other areas, like the anxiety and depression you mentioned earlier. So a couple of uh, very startling statistics. A recent 2022 CDC report did show that 37% of high school teens were experiencing significant mental health problems. And if we take that a little bit further, 44% of teens acknowledged feeling hopeless. And keep in mind, hopeless is one of those big key words for us that is a a real true indicator of a problem with depression. And maybe more concerning than all of that is we had suicide visits to the ED, so four suicide attempts, uh, increased by over 50% between 2020 and 2021 among teenage girls. So that kind of, you know, 12, 13 years old through 17. So this stress is the starting point, but it's having far-reaching, you know, problems beyond just that stress level. Do they drill down into what the kids are saying those stresses are? I mean, everybody who's grown to adulthood has gone through that normal, quote-unquote normal. I mean, high school, you know, there's always girl drama. Um, This is obviously much more than that, if it is driving you to the point where you are thinking about committing suicide or thinking about harming yourself, what what types of things are we talking about here? I mean, truly, it it could be anything. It could be typical daily things that have just built up over time. One thing that I will say, and it's my own little soapbox, so I apologize here, but in the United States in particular, we are a very outcome-driven society. We are are teaching our kids from a very young age, you need to get straight A's. You need to make that travel baseball team or travel soccer team. You need to win this event. You need to be in the best clothes so you can be popular and be in the in crowd. And the reality is 
that causes stress. That causes pressure because our, our kids aren't focused on necessarily doing things the right way. They're solely focused on the outcome. So let's take academics, for instance. If I feel I have to get A's, I have to get an A on this test, I have to get perfect attendance, I have to get all these things. Now, if I get a B even on a test or, or you know, let alone you know, a C or D, um, I view that as a failure of myself. I view that as, um, as a much bigger problem than it really is. Whereas if we were able to focus on the process of school as opposed to the outcome of the grades of school, we're going to teach our kids a whole different way of, of life, which is really beneficial for future. Because as you mentioned, stress is a normal part of life. It's going to happen. If I get a B on a, on a test, that's not the end of the world. That means, you know what, maybe I just need to study a little bit, focus a little bit more in, in class. And the reality is, if I focus on the process, go to class, pay attention, do my work, not in a way to get it done, but in a way that I'm truly understanding what I'm doing, study for my test, and go do my best on that test, whether I get an A or I get a C, if I've done that process right, I shouldn't feel stress. I shouldn't feel upset about it because what would I have done differently? I, I already did my best. I can't do better than my best. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of this childhood stress really does stem from this general view of the United States that we are outcome-based, that you have to meet these certain criteria as you age throughout. Well, and it specifically talks about girls, but are boys showing more of it? I mean, I knew once upon a time, and again, I raised boys, so I understand boys. Boys are like, eh, all right, whatever, right. go. And girls do seem to internalize things a lot more. Um, are you seeing that change at all? There is a rise in stress for boys as well, but it is not at the same level as the rise for girls. One of the most recent statistics I saw, girls, I think it was like you know, 40, 42%, somewhere in there. And boys was like 24, 25%. So uh, increases, right? So we are seeing increases, but we're not seeing increases for males at the same drastic level that we are seeing for females. Well, as I'm listening to you explain, you know, the process versus the outcome, I'm hearing this has to be parents not putting the pressure on their kids. I mean, that's directly kind of what we're saying is that because the kids generally don't apply the pressure themselves. The expectation gets set by others, and then they're looking to achieve that. So are we kind of saying to parents, you might want to back off a little bit? So I, I think that's one part of it. And, and parents have another big role as well, and that is modeling how do we deal with stress. If we have parents that are doing a good job modeling their management of everyday stress, for the most part, we're going to have kiddos that do a better job modeling. If, on the other hand, we're having parents that are not modeling healthy coping, right, we're retreating and isolating, we are showing irritability and anger at home when we are in stressful situations, pretty pretty safe to say that those kiddos are going to, you know, model some of that same, you know, behavior after that. But I, I don't want to put all the blame on parents because parents are, for the most part, we are doing the best we can. Even in my house, we're stressed. It's been right. it's been a rough couple of years, but uh, I have no problem putting the the blame squarely on you know things like social media <laughs> because <laughs> sure. it's not just parental stress and expectations for their kids. It's also you know the coaches and things. But I think beyond that, it's the social media. When your friend posts their life, 
keep in mind, not their real life, but their artificial life they want everybody to say, that is also inadvertently putting stress on you to achieve those same things because maybe they put you know a post that they were at this tournament in Kansas City um, and oh well I was only in a, a tournament in Peoria and so of course I didn't travel I'm not as good of a team I'm not as good of a okay that's social media that is causing stress and it's not parental issues there right and and social media I mean that's we could have a whole separate discussion oh, on that definitely. one because that is crazy. And and we bring it back to, you're right, parents have had a, la- a couple of last years. I said more than one time during the pandemic, I am glad my kids are grown because if I would have had to become a teacher, and you're right, now you're having the stress of becoming that person who makes sure all the homework gets done and I have to be home and make sure they can get on their computer to do their Zoom and their interaction. So it sounds like we need to have a little bit of compassion all around for all of us to help this. And yet it doesn't seem like we've gotten to that point yet for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think the world hasn't stopped, right? We're, we're still coming to grips with the effects of the pandemic. And I don't want to blame the pandemic. I mean, stress was was something long before the pandemic. I, I certainly think it, it exacerbated and heightened it a little right. bit. But I think that's why I, I love having these conversations is we're not blaming parents. We're not blaming anybody in particular. But parents have a big role. At the end of the day, while it may not be the parent's fault, it probably isn't the parent's fault, it is the parent's responsibility to make sure they're doing the right things. And so I I think it's worthwhile, again, going back to what are those signs and symptoms and what are those warning signs? Because I think I like to differentiate between what we call the physiological signs. We talked about headaches, stomach aches, uh, racing heart, nightmares, recurrent thoughts, those kind of things, changes in appetite or sleep. But I think we want to look at the behavioral symptoms as well. So things like your child is avoidant, um, they're not engaged in social interactions where maybe they were in the past, maybe they're having negative self-talk, so they get a bad grade on a test or they have a test coming up, well, I'm just never going to be able to do that, I, I can't. Okay, those kind of things, those can be warning signs that the stress is getting a little bit more than we would like to see. Attention problems, concentration problems, irritability, that's a big one for our adolescents um, especially. I like to call anger the default emotion or that irritability is the default emotion. When they're sad and you say something, ooh, they're going to lash out with that irritability or anger. When they're stressed, they're going to lash out with their irritability or anger. When they're nervous, they're going to lash out with that irritability or anger. So if you are seeing a new kind of level of that irritability and anger in your teen, uh, especially, but it can be in younger kids as well. Again, maybe time to take a step back. Don't get so frustrated with them for lashing out, but look at maybe what's behind that irritability and anger, because maybe it is this just heightened level of stress. Is it similar that if if you have a child who used to be very engaged and very open and very social, and now you notice they've gone, as I used to like to say, radio silent, is that kind of a similar warning sign? Yep. So lashing out's one thing. If your kid never used to do that, and now they're doing that, but by the same token, if every day or every other day, yeah, they would have a conversation, and now they're not saying anything, the concern level should go up? Absolutely. And again, keep in mind, in teenage years, there's less of a reliance upon parents. There's more of a reliance on peers. And so, yes, that radio silence can certainly be a warning sign. But part of that you know, retreat away from conversation with the parents is going to be a little natural. Don't stop trying, parents. Please keep going. But 
a little bit of that pullback is good. If we go complete radio silence, they're not integrating uh, or opening up to you at all. Yes, that's a concern. And I think maybe more concerning is if they're not reaching out and integrate or uh, interacting with their peers, because again, that's really their primary support group. So if you start to see, yes, they're pulling away from me as parent, and yes, they're pulling away from their peers, that definitely is one of those warning signs. What if you see that they've wholesale changed their friends? I mean, some of that's a little natural. I mean, you kind of ebb and flow on that as you grow and mature. But a wholesale from an established friendship, especially for those older kids, I would think that's a little concerning. It certainly can be. You know, everything's situational. Um, It could be a peer change because they're actually doing a great job. Some of their peers started getting into, as they aged, the more, quote, mature, which I wouldn't call mature, you know, things like, you know, drinking, smoking, whatever it might be, and they don't want to do that. So they're changing friends, you know, groups. That's great. Right. Um, But if they're not opening up, if we're not trying to make ourselves available, um, I like to talk about the three Ps of parenting, uh, and this is true for all ages of parent uh, or of of child. So uh, be present, number one. And sometimes you don't even have to talk to them. You just have to be there available. And sometimes that's the greatest thing to say is, hey, I'm here. If you want to talk, let me know. For males, by the way, car rides are fantastic. There's a new restaurant that's going to open in a town 20 minutes away. Get in the car, no phones, no TV or or radio, I mean, and just drive. If it's a male, we're great. They're going to want food. It's fine. They'll, They'll willingly get in the car with you, I promise. And just say, hey, looking forward to going out to lunch, going out to dinner, whatever it is, if you have anything you want to talk to. So be present. Be positive. When at all possible, be positive. Uh, And probably the biggest one, be patient, parents. So those are the three Ps. Be present, be positive, be patient. How about, like you say, start the conversation, let them talk, let them go, but don't pass judgment, I would think, is the other big thing. And don't, I could see this happening because every parent wants to solve the problems for their kids. (laughs) You, you aren't going to solve the problem for them or do the, well, back when I was your age, well, you cannot compare right. how it was. Yeah, did we have stress? I think back to high school. Okay, yeah, sure, there was some of that. But you already hit on the whole social media thing. He didn't have any of that. I didn't have any of that stuff. Right. And so I'm guessing you would encourage parents to not do the back when I was your age kind of thing or try to make it about them is probably not a good thing, right? Absolutely. When I talk about being present, it means you are physically present. You're not necessarily talking. Open the conversation and be quiet. (laughs) That's really (laughs) the best advice I can give you. Let them talk. Is it best to have both parents, one parent? I mean, or is it, because we all know each parent, the child will interact differently with them. Sometimes people think the group effort is, oh, mom and dad united in front of them works well understanding that there are single parent families out there and that makes it tough too. What about if it's a grandparent? Is that because sometimes a, a child feels better talking with some other adult. Is the advice still the same for any of them? And maybe it's a conversations by the adults off to the side saying, hey, I noticed Johnny is behaving this way and then kind of approach it differently. Yeah, I, I think having whatever support person is best for that uh, specific conversation is going to be the best. So between my wife and I, there are some things she's going to take because I'm not going to stay as patient. I'll be honest, right? <laughs> I, I fail at parenting too, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and there are other things where, no, I'm going to be the one that has that conversation because my wife would not react as well. And then of course there's sometimes where, you know, yeah, we're going to sit down as the whole family, my wife and I, my two boys, and, and we're going to have the conversation as a family. So it really is dependent, but absolutely 
grandparent, aunt or uncle. We're very blessed. We have some some very close friendships that, you know, sometimes I'll even pull in one of my friends and say, hey, could you talk about this? Because it's going to come better from a non-parent, non-caregiver person. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes when they hear that outside perspective, because, you know, mom and dad don't know anything at certain <laughs> of ages of children's lives. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about, we've kind of gone through the signs and the symptoms and then the, the three P's. So what else can we do that are going to help. I know there's one thing that I keep seeing out there. Our kids are sleep deprived. Bottom line, well, a lot of us are sleep deprived, let's be <laughs> honest. But I think kids, because they, it manifests differently, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, I, I hate to be a broken record talking about the pandemic, but when schools shut down back in March of, of 2020, sleep schedules went haywire. We had kids, well, they didn't have to get up for school, so they were up playing video games or whatever, watching movies on Netflix until 2, 3 in the morning. And then they weren't waking up in the morning, and we got on this reverse cycle. And unfortunately, they can't sleep in because we now have school again, which is great. But some of them, their bedtime is not where it used to be. It's never gone back. And so we do have a sleep problem. Sleep schedules went all sorts of whack during that that time. Just as a, as a fun FYI, children, so our kind of pre-elementary school, they really need to be getting like 10 to 12 hours of sleep, depending on their age. Obviously, newborns are way more. Right. As we get into that toddler age, it's, it's a little bit you know less. Um, and it kind of continues to get a little less as we go. An elementary school child, uh, they should be getting around 10 hours of sleep. High schoolers, and they think they're adults, but they are not yet physiological adults, they should be getting nine hours of sleep. If you ask most high schoolers how much sleep should be getting, they're going to say eight hours of sleep. No, that's for an adult. A high school student, they are still growing. Their brain is still, you know, crystallizing. They are they are still developing. In fact, that's one of our most rapid times of, of growth for a lot of them. And they need nine hours of sleep. So we're not talking, you know, from 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock. We, we need 10 to 7. But if we have kids that aren't going to bed till 11, 12 o'clock at night they're not getting enough sleep. And our sleep and our behavior or our sleep and our emotional state, they are so heavily interconnected, it is not even funny. And I am guessing that the advice would be, because there would be parents say, well, I can't get them to go to bed. Hmm. There are methods and there are things, and there are sleep experts that can help with this that I'm guessing you would recommend that if you really can't get your child... Does a large part of it trace back to... I'm holding my phone in my hand at this moment. So we put that and you get sucked into, oh, the little blue light coming off the screen. That is helping nothing, is it? It's it's harming, in fact. So I, I think it's it's twofold, right? So certainly exposure to that blue light will cause a problem with sleep latency. We, we know, research study after research study, it inhibits the production and secretion of melatonin. Melatonin helps us fall asleep. If we're not having that because the blue light exposure, it's causing a sleep problem. Your child may not be able to fall asleep. They're probably not lying to you. It's probably a true thing. But I think it's more than that, too. It is what they are exposing themselves to. So if they are exposing themselves to social media, that is highly emotionally charged, which gets the brain going. And they're probably doing it while lying in their bed, by the way. Um, And so now I'm learning, my body is learning, when I lie down, your brain has to start going and get emotionally charged. No, when you lie down, we want our brain to be settling down for bed. So A, no phones in the bed, and B, none none of that socially charged stuff. Um, And really C, I guess, probably should have been A, but we want that to be about an hour before bedtime. We want that exposure to 
the, the devices and, and that blue light really needs to be gone. So we have to teach our kids how to go to sleep. When they were babies, it was easy. They conk right over, and okay, well, they'd wake up when they I were don't hungry. Know. Some, some may okay, disagree well, with easy. <laughs> Easier. When they were tired, generally, you know, they might cry a little bit, but right. they would conk out eventually. But when you're older, you're right. You, and we as adults do it. I catch myself as like, nope, shut your brain off. I physically yeah. will say to myself to shut my brain off because you have to. And kids don't know this yet. So, yeah, yeah get, the, get the technology out of the bedroom. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yes, she'll be the mean parent for a little bit, but that's the way it'll be. Yeah. And and I want to make note and not to try to freak any parents out that are listening to this, but your time with your child, especially if they're a teenager, is is running short. If you have a you know a, a sophomore or junior, you have a year or two left with them in the house before they're out and on their own, and you're not going to be there to tell them to shut their phone off. They're going to have to have learned these skills now under your guidance so that they can implement them somewhat appropriately while they're in, in college. So don't just take it for granted and say, oh, they'll figure it out on their own. They may not. And if we go to college um, or we go out and we're going into a trade school or we're going right into work and they have not learned this, they're going to be up way longer than they would be in your house because they, even though they're staying up longer than you want, when they're on their own, they can make whatever rules they want to and they won't get up for class. They won't get up for their job and it's going to cause problems. So take advantage of the time that you have left. Yeah, so work on the sleep. Sleep seems to be way at the top of the list of things that could help some of the situations. How about eating? I mean, kids, again, when they're young, they may fixate on a food. I'll only eat hot dogs. I'll only eat mac and cheese. But as they get older, you really need to work on that, don't we? And that will help things. Yeah, absolutely. Proper nutrition, uh, eating at the right times. Uh, if we're eating too late right before bed, that's going to cause a problem. Um, if we're not eating the proper um, you know, balance uh, of foods, that's going to be a problem. And so, yes, absolutely. Focus on proper nutrition. That's going to help with our, our mental and, and emotional health as well. We hear a lot about kids getting sucked into the technology, you know, the stuff we just talked about. So they're, they're sitting there in front of the, you know, their thumbs are getting a good workout, <laughs> but that's about it. We've got to work on getting our kids more physically active, don't we? Absolutely. Physical activity. Earlier, we we're talking about technology and the effects that it has on melatonin uh, in the brain. Well, physical activity increases the amount of serotonin in our brain. Serotonin is the neurotransmitter that is most responsible, low levels of serotonin, uh, is most responsible for anxiety and depression. So if we get higher amounts of physical activity, we actually increase serotonin and we're going to be having a little bit more of a resilience against that anxiety and depression. So absolutely, we need to get those kids out there. We need to get them doing something. 60 minutes a day is really ideal for kids. For your parents listening, uh, that number actually does drop just a little bit for an adult. Um, so if we can get at least 30 to 40 minutes uh, for an adult, we are good to go. But what we're talking about, not training for a marathon per se, we are talking about simply getting a sustained elevated heart rate for about that 30 to 40 minutes for kids a little bit longer. And if we can get that sustained elevated heart rate, we're going to get that increase in serotonin production. Okay, how about just getting kids involved? Sometimes There's some kids that are great. They love to be involved with things. They're participating in everything, probably over-participating, which isn't helping anything. But then some kids just don't seem to want to do it. Where's the fine line, and how do we encourage the appropriate participation? Yeah, I, I firmly believe there is an activity for everybody nowadays at risk of being involved in too much. But the great news of that is there is something for everybody. Unfortunately, as we get into teenage years where we're going to be more likely to experience some of the anxiety or depression, we start to see kids 
dropping out of their activities. And that is really the time frame where it is most important for them to be participating in something. In the field of, of behavioral psychology, we call this behavioral activation, being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. So you have that perspective that it's not just about me, it's about this other group as well. For some kids, that may be sports, and that's great, right? Be a part of you know one of the, the no-cut teams uh, at high school. You know, the football team, they'll never cut anybody. Usually cross-country or something like that, they're not going to cut anybody. But it's not just sports. If you're musically inclined, be a part of the orchestra, be a part of the, the band. It's never too late to pick up something. Maybe you're more the, the theatrical kiddo. Absolutely fantastic. There are a ton of wonderful opportunities there. You can be a part of the speech team, debate team. You could be a part of the actual school play or, you know, Cornstock or, or you know, Children's Playhouse, things like that. So there's always something that we can be doing. Uh, again, maybe you're more educationally focused. All right, we have math team. Um, we have uh, Scholastic Bowl, things like that. But uh, parents, please have them be a part of something because when they are retreating and they don't have that being a part of something bigger than themselves, some of those protective factors go away. Yeah, intramurals were also a very Absolutely. good thing. It, and carry forward to college. You can take classes and do that just to be on a team, like you said, the no-cut team. We're just out here having fun and having a good time. So when you look back at your clinical career, again, you've transitioned a little more into leadership. When you looked at clinical career, were there certain ages that you were seeing more of an issue out of, or was it across the board? You know, kind of what's that broad brush stroke where parents should be zeroing in and looking at things that might be causing their kids stress that, again, when we were kids, never would have given it a second thought. And now it's a thing. Were there things you noticed over your clinical career that might flash some light for people? That's a great question. And, and the honest answer is it, it, it's, it's a a child-to-child and family-to-family thing. There are, are some situations where really it's, oh, they'll grow out of it. And so we didn't maybe take the steps as a parent that we could have at an earlier age, and we don't grow out of it. It, it actually rolls and manifests itself and, and becomes a little more severe to the point that, okay, now we have to go you know, seek help for this. So sometimes it's just don't ignore it, right? If, if you as a parent have a gut feeling that, you know, something's going on, take care of it, address it, bring them to see, you know, somebody like myself. We have in central Illinois, we have phenomenal therapists. You know, within OSF, we have our integrated therapists, we have our, our traditional therapists, we have our psychologists and our psychiatrists. But even in the community, go go anyplace. Um, and, and they are, we really do have th phenomenal therapists, uh, you know, around this area. So if you have that gut feeling that, you know, I just want to get it taken, you know, care of, go see somebody. It, it's an absolutely okay thing. And, and in fact, I kind of believe that everybody should go see somebody at some point, just just to talk it out, because sometimes you're right. We don't want to bring these things up with, with somebody else. Yeah, sometimes to have an outside perspective yeah. is a good thing to talk about it. So bottom line, before we wrap things up, when should parents be, let's just give that nutshell, be super concerned, reach out for other help, and what can parents do to be at peace with this and to help their kids? Yeah, so I, I think obviously the older the child, the more drastic the problem could be. I'm, I'm choosing my words wisely here. So if, if you have a teenager that you see a tremendous mood, behavior shift, academic performance drop, we were doing you know pretty well, and there's just this major shift in a downward trend, 
that's a big warning sign. We don't have time to wait. Let's get them in to see somebody there. It's a little easier with the younger kids, but I will say your job as a parent, if you get help earlier, uh, if you go see somebody, when it's less ingrained, so let's say I have a, a, a five-year-old that's just not listening well, their compliance at home is just not great. The non-compliance that a five-year-old will show you pales in comparison to the non-compliance that a 10-year-old will show you, which really pales compared to what a 16-year-old will will show you. So if you're noticing and you have that concern, just go, go see uh, somebody. We have great mental health professionals in the area. Yeah, bottom line, though, don't ignore the problem Correct. before it's too late. Get the help and know that the people are out there to help. And don't beat yourself up either. It's been a long couple of years, and we recognize the stresses that all around are out there. Absolutely. Dr. Kyle Berkey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes on the OSF Newsroom at newsroom.osfhealthcare.org.